good morning. How's everybody doing? You guys doing good? You guys get a good night's sleep? Anybody get a good night's sleep? Good for you. Good for you. I've actually, I haven't had a full night's sleep ever since this package of joy arrived at my house. There she is. She looks just like me, right? Isn't she beautiful? That is uh, my, I think she's like six weeks now, my six-month-old baby girl, Stella. And let me tell you something, a lot changes. You can get rid of me. Not here, but there. Um, A lot of things change uh, when you throw a third kid into the mix. I mean, that minivan that I tried to avoid for four years, I finally had to get. I couldn't squeeze all three car seats into my four-door Altima. Um, and then those of you that have more than one kid, you know, it's difficult when like one of them is doing like something wrong and you're trying to tell them to stop and you're like, Caleb, Joshua, Stella, you know, now, now there's like another mix. You don't remember their names. Has that ever happened to anybody? You're yelling at your kid and like you call them the wrong thing. You know, the other day, uh, my son was doing something wrong and I called him my wife's name. I, I don't know why I did that, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many things in the mix. We're talking about going to Disney and I'm like, man, when we go to Disney now, you know, we can't. When they get older, we can't just get one bedroom with two beds because, like, they're not going to all fit and they're not going to want to share. I mean, it complicates things a little bit. I mean, and it changes stuff. It's beautiful, and I love my three kids, but things just change. The dynamic changes. Uh, and I'll prove it to you. Stella was two, uh, two weeks. Uh, first time we take her out of the house. And, uh, you know, where do you take a kid for the first time? You go to Target, right? And so um, first time, all three kids are in the van together, and so... You know, we're teaching the boys now. They're no longer next to each other. The oldest is in the back seat. Uh, and then they're fighting like, I want to be in the back. I want to be in the back. And so finally we get them into their seats. We put Stella in her seat and uh, we get to Target. And then when we get to Target, we have three kids and we're like, we can't stick three kids in one cart. And so we get two carts and Leilani takes the baby and I go with the boys and we spend like 30 minutes in the toy aisle. And, uh, and we, we have a great time and, and, and I love shopping. I got, I got to admit it, I, I like shopping with my kids. I love putting stuff in the basket. And, and you go to Target, it's not just for food, you know. You go to Target, you buy a couch, you buy cheese, and then you buy a shirt, you know, or a DVD or something. And, and so we did all that stuff, and, and we get in the car, we're packing the car. I don't have a problem packing the car. It's when I get home. I hate taking stuff out of the car. I, I don't know, when I get home, it's like, if I, could, I feel like turning off, like just going... And my, my wife's like, why, why are we still in the car? I'm like, I just don't want to take everything out of the car now. And so, um, so we, if there was someone that has like a business that shows up to your house and unloads your car after groceries, I mean, I'd call you. I'd definitely call you. Every once in a while, I think of calling a few people when I get home with all our stuff. And, and so the good thing is that now the two-year-old and the four-year-old help out. They can't do much, but they, they help out, and I'm training them. And so my future looks good. Okay, and so, you know, I give them like the paper towels and the bread. I'm starting to trust Caleb with the eggs. And I'm like, Papi, these are eggs. Don't drop them. Okay, and so, but it takes us long. And so we're there taking the stuff out of the car little by little. Leilani's inside putting the stuff away. And we're taking stuff out. And then we're done. I close the van up. Me and the boys walking into the house. And I begin to help her in the kitchen taking stuff out of the bags. And she's like, where's the baby? And I'm like... Oh, the baby! I left the baby in the car. Please, don't call child services on me. I mean, I promise, it was like 45 seconds. But I forgot her. She was asleep in the car seat. She was brand new, you know? Sometimes new things, you forget about them, right? You know? Um, And so, uh, I ran back to the car, and she was asleep. I took her out, and I'm like apologizing to her. Honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your daddy loves you. I'll never do this again to you. I felt so bad. I abandoned 
my little girl, even if it was for a moment. And you know the truth is, all of us at one point or another have felt abandoned. We felt abandoned. Maybe some of you, you remember when you got dumped by your first boyfriend or your first girlfriend. Oh, the pain, you know, of getting rejected or, or getting dumped. I mean, when I was working in youth ministry, I could tell when kids got dumped. Just when they walked through the doors, I'm like, oh, he got dumped. Or, or, or she got dumped. I mean, it's a terrible feeling. And probably some of you, you, you you're like, ah, oh, no one's ever dumped me. Why would someone dump me? You know, that's what I say. Um, but, but maybe for some of you, it was something your parents abandoned you. Maybe for some of you, it's someone in your family that you cared about a lot. One day, just turn their back on you. Check out this video. Hey, Calvary Fellowship. My name is Alex Herrera. And when I found out what Pastor Mark was talking about this weekend, I couldn't help but have the desire to want to share with you a little bit about myself. If you ask me what my youngest memory was, I would say that I was four years old. I was sitting in an airport with my mother, my dad, and my sister, and he was hugging us. I didn't know it at the time, but that was going to be the last time I saw my father for a very, very long time. Even though my mom did a great job raising me, it was, there was a lot in me that I had questions for, a lot of questions that my mom couldn't give me the answers for. And I turned to my friends, I turned to the internet, I turned to the media. All these places gave me, an, gave me answers to the things that I, I wanted, the things that felt right, but not the things that I needed. I didn't know it at the time, but that day when I was four was going to be a big hole in my heart. It was a hole that left me becoming very untrusting of people and relationships. It was a day that left me um, just scratching for attention. And it was a day that I never thought that I would find healing for. Thank you for listening. Wow, what a messed up thing to be left in an airport at four years old, abandoned by the person that was designed by God to protect you, to never leave you alone. I mean, the feeling of loneliness, it, it's a terrible thing. Personally, I hate being alone. I, I've never eaten in a restaurant by myself. Uh, if I'm hungry and, and it's lunchtime and, and there's no one with me, I'll like pick it up and like eat it in my car on my way somewhere. I just can't stand being alone. If I'm home by myself, if for some weird reason that ever happens, I begin texting my buddies. I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? You guys want to hang out? You guys want to go grab some lunch? I just don't like being by myself. Even Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, what does he cry out to God? When the weight of the sins of the world was upon his shoulders, he cries out to God and says, Father, why have you abandoned me? You see, the good news for us is this, is that, man, your family may abandon you. Or maybe have abandoned you. Your friends may abandon you. Your girlfriend maybe dumped you. Your boyfriend maybe dumped you. Maybe your husband left you. Your wife left you. The good news that we have is that God will never abandon us. God will never abandon you. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we continue in our series. Through the book of Romans in chapter 11. We're in this series called Inside Out. And if you open your Bible with me, we'll begin reading Romans 11 verse 1. It says this, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. And stop there for a minute. Who are God's people? 
Well, here in the book of Romans, in the first verse, Paul is referring to Israel. See, a lot of people think that God is done with Israel. A lot of people think that, okay, Israel, they, they didn't accept Christ. And so God's done with them. I remember learning when I was in parochial school, and they're, they're telling me the story of the crucifixion and how the Jewish people screamed out, crucify him, crucify him. And, and I remember thinking as a little boy, I mean, it must have been in like first grade or something like that, thinking, man, the, the Jewish people, they're bad. You know, they rejected Jesus. But you know what? That is an erroneous idea that a lot of people believe that, that God is done with Israel. And, and when I got older, I, I realized that Jesus died to save me. No one killed him. He offered his life for us. And you know what? Maybe they did not accept the Messiah, but God is not finished with them. God is not done with Israel. God is not done with his chosen nation. And that is why as Christians... We support Israel. That is why as Christians, we're pro-Israel. You know what? Jesus was Jewish. Do, people, do you guys know that? And so the first fill-in that we have today, and as we fill this in, this should fill our hearts with joy. This should fill our hearts with hope because God is a God who keeps his promises. A God that doesn't abandon his children even when they reject him. And so the first thing I want you to put in your outline is this, that God does not abandon his children. God does not abandon his children. Let's continue to read Romans verse 2. It says, For I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Here Paul's trying to say, Hey guys, I'm as kosher as they come. Hebrew national. He's got nothing on me. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleased with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the, the, the divine respond to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who, do, who have not bowed down to Baal. If you stop there, give me your attention. Who's this Elijah that Paul's talking about here? Let me tell you something about Elijah. Elijah was a mighty prophet of God. This guy had a direct channel with God. There was actually a point where the king and the people of Israel began to worship false idols. They had brought false gods into the land and began to worship this God by the name of Baal. And God tells Elijah, go and tell the king that he has sinned against me. And because of that, it's not going to rain for a super, super long time. And so Elijah goes to the king. He was brave enough to go before this king who was against God, who was killing God's people, and say, hey, you're sinning against God, and because you're sinning against God, it's going to stop raining. And you know what happened? It stopped raining. And then God tells Elijah, Elijah, it's going to be kind of rough for you to hang around the city for a while, go into the wilderness. But don't worry, I'm going to take care of you when you're in the wilderness. Ravens are going to come and feed you. I mean, that's kind of crazy for God to tell someone that. He believes God, goes to the wilderness, ravens come and feed him. And then he's drinking water from this little stream, all right, as he's living in the wilderness. And because of the drought, the stream dries up. And God says, hey, just walk a little bit and you're going to find this widow and her son. And just tell her to feed you. And don't worry, I'm going to provide food for you, for the widow, and for her son. And he finds the widow. The widow feeds him. And he's there for a while. But while he's there, her son dies. And she's like saying, this is your fault. This would have never happened if you wouldn't have come here. And Elijah prays for the dead boy. And the dead boy comes back 
to life. All right, and shortly after that, God says, okay, it's enough. Go back to the city and tell the king that it's going to rain. So Elijah shows up. He hadn't been in, into town for a super, super long time. And, um, and, and when the king sees him, he's, he's the troublemaker of Israel. And he's like, I'm the troublemaker. You're the troublemaker. All the hunger, all the trouble that we're going through right now is because of you and your sin and you, because you brought these satanic gods into God's homeland. It's your fault. But you know what? Let's settle the score. Let's find out who the real God of Israel is. All right, I'm the only prophet left, and you have 450 prophets that worship this false god, Baal. Let's go up to the mountain and build an altar for our God. And when we get to the altar, the real God is the one that's going to light this offering up. All right? And so they go up to the mountain. I mean, and, and he's thinking, oh, I have 450. We'll outnumber you. And for sure, my God is the real God. They go to the mountain, and these 450 priests of Baal, prophets of Baal, start worshiping their God and saying, all right, Baal, make it rain fire from the heavens. Come on, do it. And they're dancing around this, this sacrifice. All right, and as they're dancing, the Bible says that they're cutting themselves. And, and Elijah's looking at them thinking, these guys are out of their mind. And he starts making fun of them. He's like, hey, maybe, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe your God is busy. Maybe your God's on the toilet. All right? And then after time and time and time went by, Elijah's like, all right, enough is enough. He stands before God, stands before the altar, prays. And when he talks to God and asks for fire to fall from the sky, instantly fire falls and it consumes this sacrifice, consumes the altar. All right, and then not, not just that, he goes and he slaughters single-handedly 450 prophets of Baal. And after this happens, the queen is so upset because now all her prophets all her servants, all these people that worship her God are dead and says, go kill Elijah. And Elijah runs from this woman like a little boy. All right. He goes and he, he actually hides in a cave. And when he's hiding in the cave, God shows up and he's like, what are you doing here? Why are you hiding in this cave? And Elijah tells God this. He says, God, they've killed everyone. They've killed all the people that love you, that worship you. And I'm the only one left. And God tells Elijah, no, you're not. There's actually 7,000 other people that love me that are not dead. See, there are many times in our life when we think that we're all alone. There are many times in our life when we think no one understands my pain. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Maybe there are times in your life when you felt like everyone's forgotten about you. You're not getting any text messages. Your phone's not ringing. The kids don't call anymore. No one's commenting on my Facebook page or liking my pictures. And we're wondering, where did everyone go? I remember asking that same question one day. I was in 12th grade. And uh, when I was in 12th grade, I was actually in the school choir. All right, it's, it's like glee, right? But not as cool not, music wasn't that good, and, and we didn't dance. But uh, the great thing about choir in my school, uh, when I was in 12th grade, is it was the last period of the day, all right? And if you were slick like me after attendance, it was in this uh, giant, like, chapel, probably about the size of this, maybe a little bit bigger. If you were slick like me after attendance, you could, like, sneak to the back of this auditorium and take a nap, all right? And so I, I loved choir for that reason. And, and one day they took attendance and, and I grabbed my book bag and I went to the back 
of this room, and I made myself real comfortable. I got my bag, and I, I made a little pillow, and I fell asleep. I fell into a deep sleep, so deep that when the dismissal bell rang, everyone left. All right? And it must have been hours later, I woke up, and I'm like, you know, like when you wake up like that, like in the middle of the night, you know, and I, I wake up and I look around and everybody's gone. And I'm like, where did everybody go? And, and then I'm thinking for a moment, I, I'm like, they left me all alone. And then I'm like, maybe the rapture came. And then I remembered who was in choir. I'm like, nah, nah, the room would not be empty if the rapture would have come. But, but I felt like everybody had left me. And you know what? My friends, today, the same thing that God told Elijah, he's telling us, you are not alone. Second thing in your outline I want you to fill out is, I am not alone. There will be times in your life when you feel like the world is turning on you. Times that you feel like no one cares. Times that you feel like everyone's abandoning you. Times of weakness. Times when all hope is lost. And in those moments, I want you to remember what Isaiah said, Isaiah 41:13. I am the Lord your God. I am holding your hand. So don't be afraid. I am here to help you. God is there. A lot of times we become so consumed by our little world, by our problems, that we don't realize how big God is. Many times we're so consumed that we forget what God did for us in the past. Did Elijah forget that he prayed for it to rain, for it to stop raining, and it stopped raining for not a day? Because anyone, I could say that uh, it's not going to rain tomorrow, maybe it won't rain. No, it stopped raining for three years. Did he forget that? Did Elijah forget that he prayed for fire to fall from the sky and, and fire fell? And that God did thing upon thing upon thing. Did he forget about that stuff? See, our current trouble sometimes can affect our memory. Our current situation can affect and make us forget who God is and what God has done for us in the past. See, sometimes we feel that all hope is lost and that, man, God's forgotten about me. And we're like, God, why? Why me? God has not forgotten about you. God's plans for your life, and I want you to listen to this, God's plan for your life is bigger than your current circumstance right now. What God wants to do with you is so much bigger than maybe the difficult moment that you're encountering right now. God's plan is way bigger than that. You see, but sometimes we become so consumed with ourselves that we forget that. We think that the world revolves around us. We become selfish. And you know what that's called? That's called being prideful. That's called pride. And that's what happened to Israel. Pride took control of them. They thought that God had chosen them. And they're like, God chose us. And so we're the only ones that have access to God. We're the only ones that can talk to God. God's only going to bless us. God's only going to do things for us. And we will learn today that that is not the case. Let's keep reading Romans 11, verse 5. It says, even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace, but it is of works. It is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. And no, this wasn't written by Dr. Seuss. Um, what we see here is that Israel had lost its passion. Israel had actually lost its desire to bring glory to God. Their religion was no longer about obedience. 
It, it was now about a ritual. It was now about a practice. See, in my house, we just started this system with our kids where we have these charts in the room. I took a picture this morning, and we have these charts in, in, in the room. And uh, when they do good stuff and they complete certain things that, you know, like one of the guys in the band is like, man, Joshie hasn't eaten in three days. And that's not exactly, it's like when he eats without complaining and eats the things he doesn't want to eat, that he gets a star. Okay, so back to the story. So when, when they do the things they're supposed to do, they get rewarded and, and they get the stars. At the end of the week, we have this box with some toys. And if they get a certain amount of stars, they could go to the box and get a toy. And so the other day, my wife asked my youngest son, Joshua, hey, Joshie, go and turn off the light in your room. And, and she asked him a couple times and Joshie refused to do it. And then she goes, Caleb, please go and turn off the light. And Caleb quickly ran, went, and he turned off the light. And then Leilani went to the room, grabbed the star, and put it on his board and thanked him. She said, Caleb, thanks for being a good listener. And when Joshi found out that his brother got a star, he actually ran to the room, went to the light, and began turning it on and off. Mommy, look, I'm turning on. I'm turning off the light. I'm turning off the light. I'm turning off the light. You see, both of them turned off the light, but only one of them honored their mom and obeyed. And so only one of them received the reward. See, Israel was so busy turning on and off the light, that when, and they were blinded, so blinded that when Jesus came, their rituals clouded what was actually happening in front of their eyes. When they saw Jesus helping the, the, the hurting and healing the sick, and feeding the hungry. They accused them of being a false prophet. They accused them, you're healing on the Sabbath. You're not obeying the law. You know what they even did? They even accused them of being the devil. Can you believe that? They just didn't get it. It was about pleasing their religion, pleasing their tradition. And many of us in this room understand that because a lot of us grew up in, in a practice the very same way. We didn't choose to be part of the religion. We were born into the religion. Before we had a chance to choose anything, we were baptized and went through a bunch of different rituals. And then when we got older, it was no longer about a relationship that we had with God. It was about keeping grandma happy, right, and wearing the right clothes so that no one would look down at us and just going when the holidays were upon us. You see, there was no, there's no passion in it. And that's the same thing that had happened to the people of Israel. They had lost their passion. They had lost their connection with God. John 1 says this, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so what we're learning here is that despite everything that they've done, despite all the things that they did even to Jesus when he was here, I want you to, so I want this to be burned in, inside of your hearts and your minds. God does not abandon his children. God does not leave his four-year-old son in an airport. God doesn't leave his two-week-old daughter in the car. All right, God will never abandon you. God has a plan for Israel, and that same God that doesn't turn his back on his children, even when his children turn their backs on him, that very same all-loving, amazing God has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. And that's the third filling in your outline. I want you to, to write this down. God has a plan for me. In Romans 11, verse 11, it says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? 
Certainly not. But through their faith to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's us. Salvation came to the Gentiles. Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And so then, to everyone that calls upon his name, he gives them the right to be children of God. See, throughout the Old Testament, God promised his children, I'm going to send you a Messiah. I'm going to send you the Christ over and over and over again. He comes, and they don't receive him. They don't accept him. But those that knew nothing about him, those that hadn't read the scriptures, said, yes, Jesus, we believe in you. Yes, Jesus, come into our home. Yes, Jesus, sit down, eat with us. We want to hear more. Talk to us about the kingdom of God. In Romans 9, the Apostle Paul quotes the prophet Hosea, and he says this, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very same place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. In the very same place, on the very same streets that they were not allowed to walk, that they were not, they were not called children of God there, God called them my children. You are God's loved one. No, you may be thinking, no, there's no way that, that God could love me. There's no way that God could accept me after everything that I've done. After the things that I've done, the things that I've said, maybe things that I've even thought about God. Things that I've done to other people. There's no way that God could love me like that. You know what? Haven't these verses taught us anything? Hasn't God's love for his very own people who rejected him, who yelled, crucify him. Doesn't that show us how much our God loves? I mean, we sang it today. Our God is love, 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 love. God loves you. Oh, but Mark, there's no way he could forgive me of this sin, of this one thing that I did. How could God want to have a relationship with me? See, that's what they accused Jesus of. Mark 2 says this, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, a tax collector, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came to save a hurting world. Jesus came to reach those that were far from him. Jesus came to reach the brokenhearted. Jesus came to restore the homes that were broken. He's like, hey, the religious people, they don't need me. Obviously, they're not accepting me. So I'm going for those that are hurting, those that are lost. And maybe you're here today and you're far from God. You're far from God. You know what? Jesus has a plan for you, specifically for you. Jesus wants to forgive you. Jesus wants to take all the stuff, all the mistakes that you've done in the past, and he wants to erase them, that guilt that is haunting you. If today you decide to follow Jesus, you decide to accept Jesus, all of that will be gone. All of that messed up stuff that man has ruined relationships. I mean, we heard Alex's story. And his dad left him, and because his dad left him, he turned to other things. That man really messed up his life. And I've heard, you, you heard the 90-second version. I've heard like the 90-minute version of his testimony. And everything that he went through, all the things that, that he 
sought out to fill the emptiness that was in his heart. And all that did was hurt him physically, hurt him mentally, hurt all of his relationships. And today, maybe you're here today, and man, there's stuff that you've done that you feel that there's no way that maybe your family can forgive you, then your friends can forgive you. You know what? God can forgive you. And God can also restore those relationships that maybe you've ruined. There is hope. God has a plan for you. Maybe you're a Christian, and you accepted Christ a long time ago or a couple years ago, and you were super involved in the things of God, but something happened in your life that you kind of just walked away or, or you lost the passion. Maybe you're like my son Joshi and you're still here and you're just turning on and off the light because that's what they tell you to do. And you're just turning on and off the light. Look, I'm turning on and off the light. I'm doing my part, God. Turn on and off the light. You know, give me a star. You know, maybe 50 stars because I'm just turning on and off the light. But you've lost the passion. It's no longer about obedience. It's almost like, ah, uh, it was kind of bad this week. I better go work hard on Sunday. Or whatever it is that you do. You know what? God has a plan that's way bigger than that for you. God wants to bring the joy back into serving him. God wants to bring the joy back, not just into your life, back into your home, back into every single area of your life. You know what? God is not done with you. And maybe you've thought that. Maybe you've been like, oh, you know, I just failed God and I'm faking it or I don't feel like really doing anything anymore. And I don't even think that God can even use me anymore. Let me read you what Romans 11:29 says. It says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They're irrevocable. God has called you. God has a special plan and a purpose for your life, and it's irrevocable. No one can take it from you. You can't give it back. God wants to use you to do amazing things. Maybe for you, your calling is to turn on and off the light, but he wants to put joy back into that. Maybe you're doing something that's way under what God has called you to do. And today, you will stand up and say, you know what, God? I'm going to listen to you. You've been talking to me, and I've kind of been hiding in the cave like Elijah. And like, God, you know, I'm all myself. I'm comfortable here, you know. And, you know, the bugs taste good, and there's a little bit of dew that's falling from the cave. And, and I could survive here. You know what? The Christian life's not about surviving. The Christian life is about being on fire for God. Some of you that were here early and, and were hearing worship, the fire alarm went off. Imagine if we were so on fire for Jesus that this place would just light up, that our communities would light up in passion for God, that our workplaces, that our schools. I mean, the empty seats that maybe we see today in the summer days, we, we would have to open the doors because people would be standing outside. That is what God has designed us to be. Those are the followers that God created us to be. Not to be comfortable. Not to be turning on and off the light, but to be passionately following God, obediently following God. Not like his children. I mean, it's breaking his heart, I'm sure, as he sees each and every one of his chosen children going through rituals and rituals and rituals. A couple summers ago, I was taking a religion class in FIU, and, and I had to go to the service of a religion that wasn't my own. And so I work on Sundays, so I can't go to some of the other churches. And a lot of the other Eastern religions and stuff have adopted our worship day because people have the day off. But, uh, so I couldn't go to any of the other services, but I went to a synagogue. Okay? And, and I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be super cool. And it was the strangest experience I've ever had in my entire life. The entire service was in Hebrew. It was for two hours long, and I just sat there, and I wondered. And I asked myself, where 
did the God of, of this Israel go? I mean, don't they see the Old Testament? The God that made fire fall from the sky, the, guy that, the God that parted the Red Sea, did they forget about that God? And God is looking at us as children today, and he's saying, I've called you. The gifts that I've given you are irrevocable. The work that I began in you, I will finish. And hey, an important thing and the last thing in your outline is that God gives second chances. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, you believe in God, but you've messed up or you've gotten cold or you've gotten stagnant, you've gotten comfortable in your walk with God. You know what? God wants to give you a second chance today. God wants to give you an opportunity to rekindle that fire that burned inside of you and finish the work that he began. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion. God wants to finish the work that he began in your life. But you've got to let him. The same way that Jesus came to his people and he gave them the opportunity to believe that he was the Messiah, God has given all of us the opportunity so that he could finish that good work. He's not going to grab you by the neck. He's not going to pin you down. He's not going to body slam you. He's giving you the opportunity today to say, hey, you know what, God, I surrender. I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've done. I'm sorry for denying the calling that I know that I have. And today, I'll do whatever it takes to serve you. In a moment, George is going to come out and and we're going to worship because I think that we really need to talk to God. Some of us need to pray. We need to sing. We're going to have communion and fellowship with Jesus. The the lights are going to dim so that we can have a a little bit of of privacy. And um, I don't want us to take this, this moment for granted. I don't want this to be another time that we come up here, we get the little cup, the piece of matzo, we go back to our seat, we do our little thing. I don't want this to be a ritual. I want this to be a monument in our life. A moment that we look back and we remember, that was the day that I stopped being a religious person and I started being a passionate person. That was the day, that, that Sunday morning, that I decided to stop turning on and off the light and saying, God, look, I'm, I'm listening to you, I'm turning on and off the light. And that I decided to say, God, whatever you want, whether I don't want to or not, I'm going to do it. God, whatever it takes, I will do that to follow you because you are worth it. And God will do amazing things in your life. Maybe you're here today and you are here by accident. You're here like, man, what's this guy talking about? Um, People of Israel and stuff. But you know that you're far from God. You know that maybe there's a sin in your life or, or you've made a bunch of mistakes and you've hurt people. When I was talking about that, you identified with that. And, you, and you're probably one of those people that have thought, man, God can't really do anything for me because I'm just so far. In this same chapter of, of Romans 11, God talks about the children of Israel like being this like beautiful olive tree, like this precious groomed tree that's strong and has this heritage and it's so old and perfect and beautiful and healthy right and it talks about the jewish people being that and maybe when you got here today you you know the countdown went to zero and the band started and it was three songs and then a girl came out and talked about a little card and then they came back out and they sang a song and then this little video came on and, and then I came out and I've been talking here and you have a little paper and it kind of goes with what I'm talking about. And you're like, man, this just doesn't really make sense to me. You know, I'm just a little wild. 
You know, that's what the Bible calls us, the Gentiles. We're the wild olive tree that now gets to be a part of this beautiful heritage that God prepared for us. And so if you're here today and you're a wild one and you've decided to do crazy things in your life and try the craziest things, God loves you and God wants to make you a part of his family. God wants you exactly the way that you are. God loves you so much that when Jesus came to this world, he was rejected because he wanted to be close to people like you. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I'm going to ask everyone to pray this prayer with me just to encourage those that are praying it for the first time. And I want you to invite Jesus into your life and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've done. And I promise you, if you do it with all of your heart and you believe it, Jesus will come into your life and little by little he'll begin changing your life. And you will never be the same. And so let's pray together. Let's bow our heads and let's all pray this out loud and say, Dear God, I come to you today and I say I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've done, for the sins that I've committed. Forgive me. I believe that you died for me. And today, say this loud, you're alive. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Have you prayed that prayer? That's the best decision that you've ever made in your entire life. And I promise you, you will never regret it. And so in a moment, uh, George is going to sing. I'm going to invite you to come up and, and grab the elements. And, and as you grab them, I want you to worship God. If there's something that you need to ask God to forgive you about. When you, when you heard that, Romans eleven twenty nine that the gifts of God are irrevocable, man, you remembered how passionate you were once. You remember how excited you were to be involved in the things of God once in your life. And you thought, I'm so happy then. God can restore you. God can bring you back to that place and even take you further. And so if you're here today and maybe you've walked away a little bit or gotten cold or gotten comfortable, when you get back to your seat, I mean, what we're holding here, what this represents is, is the blood of Christ and, and the body of Christ that was bruised and beaten and crucified for us. His blood that was shed for us. And so as you go back to your seats and you worship and you pray, thank Him because He loves you regardless of your mistakes, regardless of your faults, regardless of the things that you've done. He loves you. And you know what? He wants to have communion with you. He wants to have fellowship with you. So George, please lead us in worship and, and come forward and, and receive a partake in communion.
Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake in the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your body that hung on a cross for us, that was whipped for us. We thank you, Lord, that no one took your life. You laid it down as a ransom for many. Thank you, Lord. Let's grab the cup. And in the same manner, he also took a cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus and drink together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. We thank you that your blood washes us of our sins. That you were alone on the cross because you wanted to bear our sins and our mistakes. And that even though that many times we've denied you by our actions and our thoughts, God, you'll never deny us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake your children. Help us remember that even in our darkest moments, in our loneliest moments, in the times when we're in the cave, that we would remember you're there for us. 
And that there are others that love us, that want to care for us, and that love you as well. Help us have a great week and help us be on fire for you. Rekindle that passion in our hearts for you, Lord. And that it will be contagious. In your name we pray and we give you thanks. And everyone says, Amen.